Well, good morning. Um, I am really grateful to be here with you today. As Andrew mentioned, my name is Brian Ferrone, and I serve as district superintendent for EFCA's North Central District, which is all the free churches here in Minnesota. Well, most all. There's just a few that are in another district. Um, and we have one church in Wisconsin. And I'm going to do two things today. Uh, but I have a main thing I'm trying to do, and I want to say this up front. My hope today is that your soul will leave fuller uh, than it was when you got here, that you will be encouraged in the midst of a difficult season, uh, that God will uh, minister to you through my words. That's my prayer today. And I'm going to do that two main ways. One is I'm going to briefly share about our family of churches, just a little bit up front, um, five minutes at the most, just so you can uh, see uh, and maybe get a better understanding of your sister churches here in Minnesota and what we're trying to accomplish together. And then the bulk of our time together today, I want to open Hebrews 11, I'm sorry, Hebrews 12 for us to try to answer the question about how do we move forward at a time like this. And, and I think this passage that we're going to see today is powerful for us as we think about how to walk with Jesus, how to endure these hard times in the days that are ahead. Uh, so to begin, I want to show up on the screen. I, I didn't really master this yet. Let's see. Oh, oh. Should I do it or should I now to go back one? Can you go back one? Thanks. I'm going to leave it alone. I think that's a wiser choice today. The clicker. Uh, the North Central District is about 160 congregations uh, here in Minnesota. They're scattered all over the state. Um, we're about 10% more or less of the Evangelical Free Church America, about 1,500 congregations scattered across the nation. Um, gospel congregations that love the things your congregation loves, that are doing the things your congregation is doing, that are trying to reach those who are far from God with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that are shepherding those who put their hope in Jesus into his image more and more each day. That's what these churches are doing. Same thing your congregation is doing here. We're doing it in the North Central District, all around the nation. And then across the globe, the Free Church has about 650 missionaries that come alongside local, local churches and local leaders and help them do the same. That's a little snapshot of our numbers, uh, where we are uh, here nationwide and then around the world. The next thing I want to do is just show you what I think sometimes feels like our family portrait. Um, this is where all of our Free Churches are here in the state of Minnesota. You can see there's many, many in the metro um, near us, uh, both uh, toward the urban center and then broadly out in the uh, suburban suburbs of the Twin Cities. And then moving out into Minnesota, we're in places like Rochester, we're in su southwestern Minnesota, uh, we're in uh, the north in places like Grand Marais, a place that you probably remember the Free Church being, all over the state. Um, uh, sister congregations just like this one, some of them uh, smaller, some of them uh, 25 to 50, some of them much larger. All of them share a common commitment to our biblical convictions and a deep deep passion for people, that the gospel would transform individuals. Uh, we're a family of churches on mission together. Uh, at a time like this, I also want to take a moment on behalf of this family of churches to say thank you. Uh, the partnership of your church makes it possible for myself and the team of people I serve alongside, and I'm going to show you a picture of them in just a second, not quite yet, but that's a little foreshadowing. Uh, this team of people that I serve alongside, we, we couldn't do our job uh, which is to serve pastors and church leaders. We couldn't do that without your support. So I want to say a genuine, sincere word of thanks uh, for the way your church allows us to serve you and supports our ministry. And then finally, just you may wonder, what does a district superintendent do? What do district leaders do? 
Uh, in a word, we serve. All we really do is serve pastors, church leaders, and churches. You know, and in one sense, when I got into this work about eight years ago of serving as a regional leader within the Free Church, I was a little unsure of what I would be doing. Um, and it turned out I was blessed to discover it was the same old thing I used to do as a local church pastor, just with a different group of people. Uh, the burning mission of my life is to serve pastors and church leaders in a way that helps them grow in Christ. You should hear this. Our team is ambitious for your, the leaders of your church, for Andrew, for your staff. We want, we want them to be disciples of Jesus. That's, that's what we're in their life for. We want them to grow in Christ just as they want you to grow in Christ. Christ. We want them to be fruitful for the gospel just as Andrew dreams of how this church can be fruitful for the gospel here in St. Louis Park. We do the same thing. That's what we do. And then finally, before I finish my, my information about our district, I just want to show you a picture of people. Um, our, our team, just like every church, uh, we have lots of great resources. Uh, we've been long established. We, we know what we're doing when it comes to helping churches. But far and away, better than uh, resources we can offer, the best thing about us is our people. These people that you see uh, behind me or on the screen, these people are pouring their lives into church leaders. And when churches ask, how can we help? Um, this is my answer. These people who, who know about things like church planting and pastoral care and uh, church revitalization, um, they know about student ministries, they know how to help with administrative questions, but really the heart of these people uh, for church leaders is what's so beautiful and so valuable about what our district provides. And so that's a little information about who we are as a family of churches scattered around Minnesota, coming together because we're better together. Uh, now what I want to do with the remainder of our time together with these next few minutes is turn us toward God, toward God's word, um, Hebrews 12. If you have your Bibles, turn there. And, and uh, we're going to move on to a sermon that I'm calling Looking, Enduring, and Running. And before I begin, I want to ask if you would pray with me that God would come speak to us through his word in a way that's powerful today. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to be gathered here or to be present uh, through the live stream. God, we come this morning with all kinds of concerns. Lord, you know my list. Hard weeks, uncertain weeks ahead. God, we ask in these moments that you would help us to set those things aside. Help us, God, we pray, to listen. Give us, Lord, what you promise in Scripture. Lord, we need ears that can hear. Lord, I pray that you would guard my words, that I would say true things, and I pray you would help our ears to hear true things. And Lord, I pray those things would permeate our souls, they would redirect our vision, they would give us encouragement today as we think about walking with you. Lord, we pray these things as grateful believers because of Jesus Christ, our King, who died on the cross for us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I want to begin this morning by asking a question, and I, I just want to say that uh, it'll get better after this first little part of my sermon. It's a little depressing, but I think we need to get on our minds how we got here. So I want to ask the question, do you remember how we got here? How an unexpected march turned into an unprecedented October. Here's how I remember it. In early March, I was returning from Montgomery, Alabama with a small group of people from our NCD family that we went down to to, uh, to wrestle with questions of race and ethnicity. And as we were coming back, I began to see masks in the airport. This was before any announcements had really been made. 
but I was in the Atlanta airport on March 6th, and I thought, oh, this is a little different than what I'd seen before. We got back, and it, do you remember those first days, uh, those early days, where it was day by day, the information was changing? And we started off thinking, I don't know what's going on, and then all of a sudden, things started to close down. And Sunday morning went from, at least in my world, Sunday morning went from guaranteed to very uncertain, right? But I remember in those early days, and maybe you're like me, and I, I say this to myself a lot when I'm in hard times, I can do anything for a couple weeks. No big deal, right? Did you think some of those same thoughts? Well, then for me at least, the days, they turned into weeks. The weeks things really happened. And I tried to stay calm. I tried to be an encouragement for our pastors and our church leaders. I tried to remind myself it's going to be all right. And, and to remind myself that I can do it. I can do anything for a month. How hard could it be, right? It's just a month. I'll get through it. The lockdown was strange. It was weird. I remember not leaving the house for quite some time. But it's only a short period of time. Well, the weeks turned into months, and I had a realization that a lot of our calendar was in big trouble. Um, a lot of our plans were just not going to happen. Did anybody have things on the calendar that didn't really come to pass, right? Uh, we had a district conference that hadn't been canceled in memory. Um, and in fact, it was mandated by our bylaws, and we re didn't really know how to spend money without having that conference. Um, but our plans, they began to crumble in those early months in March and April. And we decided we were going to be flexible and we would get through it. And uh, we can do anything till summer. We'll be okay till summer. Well, then in late May, if you remember, our, our city experienced an unprecedented level of anguish and heartbreak and civil unrest. Um, it was a jarring time. And uh, like so many of you, I thought, well, um, this summer's not looking like what I expected. And our summer plans began to fall. And our uncertainty about uh, things that we'd taken for granted, uh, like safety of walking around downtown Minneapolis, uh, it started to permeate almost every day, right? And I remember thinking, uh, these hard times, they're, they're getting to me. And they were probably getting to you. But I remember thinking, you know what? By the end of summer, things will probably be normal-ish. I'd, I'd given up on normal as a word, right? And nor things like the new normal started to enter my vocabulary. But I thought surely by the time that state fair comes around, everything will be fine. And at least, if not then, at least when kids go back to school, we'll get some version of normal, right? Right? Well, then September came. Uh, two strikes, right? Neither one. And as September came for me, like the rest of us, I experienced a new level of uncertainty. And my thoughts about the future started to turn toward, uh, maybe we'll put the goalposts at November 5th right? Election and a little day of growing. And then things, will, then things will surely get back to, and maybe not, if, if not November 5th, maybe we'll be able to find our way out of this difficult time by January. Well, here we are in October, and all that stuff seems pretty questionable to me right now, if, if you are feeling the same way I'm feeling. And I'm looking at a year, I just had the very strange experience of publishing my 2021, our 2021 calendar for all of our district of vets, and I've never had to sort of put the Lord willing asterisk so firmly in place on every single one of those events. And I'm looking at January and my hope for a new normal is, is wavering a little bit. And I'm thinking about March and I'm like, maybe by then we'll have found a way, maybe a vaccine will give us a little freedom, but maybe not. And, uh, and I'm even wondering about things like the summer again. Now, 
um, I don't do that just to depress us. It is depressing, right? That's, I, I want to have it in our mind firmly fixed how we got here. Because this morning we're going to ask the question, how should we move forward at a time like this? It's, the real, it's really the key question um, is how do we move forward when our plans just fall apart? And I want to invite us this morning to look at Hebrews 12. We're going to look at the first 11 verses in Hebrews 12. Um, we're going to, I'm going to talk just briefly, so just a little background information so we can understand what we're reading. I'm going to read the passage for us, and we're going to go through it. And then we're going to really see three answers to this key question of how people like us can move forward when things uh, just fall apart. So some background information uh, for Hebrews chapter 12. The first thing I want you to notice, if you've opened your Bible there, you might already see it. It starts with a therefore, which should, should kind of move your eyes back into Hebrews 11 and remind us that Hebrews 11 is a foundation for what we're going to read. And Hebrews 11, if we look at it, uh, we'll see that it, it has this picture of, uh, of, of many people of faith. They're called a great cloud of witnesses in Hebrew 11. And they've gone through, interestingly, if you, if you have if you want to do something encouraging today or later, read through Hebrews 11 and see person after person, faithful, uh, I, I will say Moses says it, so why not, faithful Christian after faithful Christian who lived in difficult times through Hebrews 11, kind of all looking forward to what we've received in Jesus Christ. That's what we see in Hebrews 11. And then a final thing I want to, I want to point out, if you look at it, you'll see, if you read it carefully, you'll see that people like us, we're not the first to face hard times. We're not alone when we face these hard times. And there's a phrase that repeats in Hebrews 11 over and over again, we're supposed to live by faith. And those ideas are a foundation for what we see as we come to Hebrews 12. And so at this point, what I want to invite you to do, this has uh, long been my, my uh, commitment and tradition, is I want to invite you, if you're here in person, or even if you're at home live streaming, if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word um, because just brothers and sisters, can I remind you that this book, it's not like other books. Um, and these words that we're going to read, they're not like other words. That This is God's word for us today. Hebrews 12, verse 1 through 11. It says these things. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? 
For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Please be seated. Now we're going to move forward and we're going to ask this question. So how should we move forward? How should we move forward when our plans fall apart? And the first thing we see in this passage is a message about looking, about looking. When our plans fall apart, we must fix our eyes on Jesus, this passage says. How should we move forward when our plans fall apart? Hebrews 12, 1 through 11 reminds us we do this first of all by a certain kind of looking. Look down with your, at your Bibles with me. I want to walk us through how this passage shows us a message about looking. Notice first in Hebrews 12, 2, um, we're called to look to Jesus, look to Jesus, looking to him, looking to Jesus as we run the race. Also see that Jesus is described as the founder and perfecter of our faith. These words, mean, they mean two things, I believe. On the one hand, it says that Jesus is the founder of our faith, and it, it doesn't, I don't think, mean he's just the establisher of Christianity through his life and death and resurrection on the cross, but more to the point, for each of us individually, he's the one who birthed faith in us, in us, that you and I are able to believe, we're able to trust, we're able to walk with him because Jesus found it. He's the author, he's the one who started our faith. But more than that, it also means that he's an example. We're supposed to look to Jesus as the founder and perfecter of our faith as a supreme example of what it means to walk and live by faith. Verse 3 says we're supposed to consider him, another way of directing our focus toward Jesus. We're supposed to see a little later than passage that he endured what's called such hostility from sinners. And then in 12.4, we're reminded that Jesus shed his blood for us. And through this, because he died on the cross for us, you and I, if we believe, can become children of God. Now, all these things taken together, they call us to firmly fix. Hear this. These things call us to firmly fix our eyes on Jesus as we run this race, as we live this life, especially in the midst of troubling and uncertain times like the ones we're facing or like the ones those in Hebrews 11 face. We're supposed to put our focus on him, put our hope in him, uh, found our lives upon him. Now, in these troubled days, my experience is people, and I'll put myself in this group, seem to be looking everywhere else for peace and hope in life. We're fixing our eyes all over the place, except for Jesus. We are looking for someone who can solve our problems right now. It's our national obsession, is to find a leader who can solve these problems, someone who can end our trouble, who can bring us peace. If only the right people are in power, only the right presidents elected, um, if only the right changes happen in our society, if only our most cherished freedoms return, if only a time comes when I don't have to wear a mask, everything will be fine, right? We're thinking these things. We're thinking if only my health and safety can be guaranteed. We are looking and looking. I, I am. I am. I spend my lonely afternoons just like you wishing and wanting and looking and searching. And I know full well, don't you know full well, that it is a search in vain. 
This passage reminds us to do what all sane people of faith have done at all times, in all places, in every circumstance. We are supposed to firmly, firmly fix our eyes upon Jesus. So brothers and sisters, here at the outset, let me remind you of something that all believers know. There is only one place to look. Only one place. That place, that place we should look, the place is a person. The place is a person. And that person is Jesus Christ, our coming king. The place we ought to look for hope. In the midst of a season like this, when plans are um, barely worth the screen they are on, or the paper we dare to print them on but not hand to anyone, lest it risk health, at times like these, the only sane, safe, good, beautiful, right, real place to look is Jesus Christ. That's the first thing I want you to see as we think about this question in light of Hebrews 12. The next thing that we're going to see is this. Like looking, this passage has a message about enduring, about enduring, and that's the next thing we're going to look at. Focusing on Jesus empowers us to stay in the game. It empowers us to remember our true identity, and it empowers us to grow at faith, grow in faith at hard times like these. So how should we move forward when things fall apart? Hebrews 12, 1 through 11 says we should do it by enduring. Look down at your Bibles with me. I want to show you how this passage makes this point. First, in 12.1, we're surrounded by a huge crowd of people who endured, a great cloud, crowd of people who live by faith in uncertain times. And they're, they're, it's tempting to think of them as a crowd cheering us on. It's the wrong. They're, they're a group of sane people who know better than we do. They're testifying to us. They're telling us that in times like this, you can endure by living by faith. If you look at verse 2, we're called to run with endurance. We're also reminded in verse 2 of Jesus' example and that example of the cross. We're told in verse 3 um, that the cross and all that went along with it is hostility from sinners. Anybody feel like they're facing any hostility from sinners? I feel like sometimes I feel like I'm facing it, and sometimes I know I am it, right? In this strange, broken, sinner saint experience of any who live in this world and put their hope in Jesus Christ. In verse 4, we're reminded we have not yet endured like Jesus endured. What a joy it is to know that the cross, the death for those who put their hope in Jesus, that's not our future. And then in 12, uh, 5 through 11, we have all this teaching on discipline. Not a super popular topic in America, right? Not, has, has been ironically absent in our political campaigns, right? You haven't heard any of this. Um, it, it reads strange to people like us. But it is, it is part of the message. We are told that the difficulties of life, the sufferings we face, the hard reality of living, living by faith in a fallen, broken, yet restoring, being restored world can have a purpose. Have you considered, it's startling, what if God in his great patience is doing more than one thing right now? And what if one of those things I say with genuine sincerity that my greatest hope for our district is that our pastors love Jesus Christ. It's not the only thing I do. What if God is up to many things at this moment, and one of them is he's trying to create 
a deep love for Jesus Christ in the midst of this, this onerous, terrible, rightly hated time. What if? Uh, because this teaching is startling, I want to read it again for us. And I want us to look at it again and consider the possibility that these hard times are, that one of the things they are is discipline from the Lord because he's ambitious for us as his children to grow. Hear these words again. Look at verse 5. Listen to them. Listen with your heart. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Verse 10, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment of all discipline seems painful. Amen? For the moment of all discipline seems painful. Um, rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Taken together, uh, we are shown here that a certain kind of endurance uh, that allows us to stay in the game and not quit is based on what we're experiencing right now, growing from these tough times. Um, this passage says that hard times confirm we're God's children, they're for our good, and they produce righteousness in us. And so when we see these things together, we need to be able to admit that maybe God, maybe, is trying to help us grow, in my view, at a time like this. It is tempting to try to find a fix, right? Haven't we been spinning our wheels trying to find a fix? Um, has anybody shopped for the perfect mask, right? I resent that experience so much, but I, but I still, every time I go into a store, maybe this is the place, I'll find a mask that doesn't feel like one, right? Um, we're trying to fix things. Uh, we're trying to work harder. We're trying to overcome these tough times. There's a place for that. But the essential thing this passage says that at times like this, we need to learn from these moments and grow in our ability to endure. Rather than trying to kind of break through the wall of these tough times, rather than that, I want to encourage you to open yourselves up to the possibility that, that these hard times are brought about in part not fully, in part so that people like us can grow into the people that God wants us to be. We can be, to use the word, we can be sanctified. We can be made holy. Let me give you an illustration that I think will help you understand this. I used to, when I lived in California, I moved here from California just a few years ago to serve here in the uh, North Central District, and I, I lived in a place where people rode bikes a lot. <clears throat> now, I am not 
I'm not built like a natural cyclist, right? But I thought I would go for it anyway. And I just kind of fell in love with the idea of riding bikes on the central coast of California. Except for one thing. It's a problem we don't have here in Minnesota. It's called hills. Um, like, there, the flattest part of my old bike ride would be the mountains of Minnesota, practically. Like, it was just, it was so hilly. And can I just tell you, I, I hated, I hated the hills. They made the rides no fun. Now, I had a friend who uh, I would go riding with sometimes. His name was Dave Stout. And Dave was one of those guys, like, in, for family vacations, they would ride across the state of Iowa. That was, like, a fun thing for them to do. And so he was not the funnest person to ride bikes with. Sometimes it was darn discouraging to ride with Dave. But I'll never forget when Dave was coaching me about the hills, about the hard times. And he would say, Brian, here's what, here's what you do. You get all emotionally depressed as we ride up to the hills. True story, Right? He's like, and then you, you suffer through the hills as if they are the worst possible experiences of life, and then you're sort of happy on the downhill slide. And he said, can I just suggest another way to think about the hills? He said, the hills are the things that are helping you become better at riding your bike. You know that, right? Um, and I grudgingly did know that. I had a hunch that coasting didn't help much. But the hills, they helped. And Dave would say to me, he goes, you know what, if you can just try to flatten the hills out in your mind a little bit, and just keep pedaling at a pace you can handle. He's like, and you have those gears on your bike, and they're, they're designed to help these moments out. And so Dave would encourage me. I remember he sometimes would get up next to me. We were riding up these hills, and he would say, shift down and just keep pedaling. Just find a pace you can handle and just keep going. Just keep trying to, to, to let this moment do in you what it's supposed to do, make the hill better tomorrow when we ride the next day, right? Um, but not to resent it so much because it kind of had a purpose. And the other thing he was trying to remind me of is those hills on the central coast of California, they're here to stay. They're here to stay, you know what? You could search in vain in my old neighborhood, there wasn't a flat ride to be found. It just didn't exist. I mean, I could ride, the, I could ride a circle around my block, but that's only so fun, especially in the Pacific Ocean's right over there and you wanna go see it. it. Just happens to be past some of this. Dave reminded me that endurance rather than fighting through, might be something I should consider embracing. Now, I'll admit it, my heart never got there for the bike rides, right? Uh, it still sounds like nonsense when I think about those hills. I hate them. But I'm trying to embrace this idea that God wants to grow in me the ability to walk with him in tough times where I won't uh, scream at the wind, where I won't hold my breath and wait and wait and wait for the difficulty to be over, where I will instead, in the midst of tough times, be able to open my eyes, see the goodness of God in this broken world, be at peace, and discover the kind of faith that comes from walking through trials. Like what if, what if that was our legacy from these days? from these days that are so hard and so difficult where our plans are just getting tossed around and beat up? What if we grew? I think there's a message here, and I want to encourage you and invite you to move your goalposts not to a new time, but toward endurance. And if you hang in there during this season, you win. If you don't quit in this season, you bore fruit. If you stay close to Jesus in this season, um, you are growing in righteousness. If you can get your eyes in the next three weeks to stop looking around and start looking toward him, 
Start looking toward him. That's what the message of enduring is about in this passage. And there's one more thing I just want to touch on as we close. Uh, How do we move forward when our plans fall apart? This passage reminds us we do it also by running. We certainly do it by looking the right place. We certainly do it by enduring in the right way. But we do it by running. Moving forward, we need to remember the real nature of our race, cast aside everything that weighs us down, and run toward Jesus. Look with me down at our passage one more time. I just want to point one thing out to you. In Hebrews 12:1, let me read it again. It says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And then the main, the main encouragement of this passage, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Just a couple comments about that. It's important to remember that the race that is set before us is our whole life. Um, My opening illustration, how we got here, you've been doing it along with me for months. I can handle a couple more weeks. A couple more months won't be that bad. Maybe three months and we'll be out of it. Maybe by November and it'll be over. Maybe January and the difficulty will be done. Maybe next summer things will be back to normal or we'll have entered a new normal. Now, there's a place for that kind of thinking. I'm still doing it. But can I remind you, when Hebrews talks about the difficulties of this life and challenges us to run with endurance the race that is set before us, it's speaking about our whole life. In this world, we're going to have trouble, the Bible tells us. This life is built on enduring, the Bible tells us. Our difficult times, the tough times we're in, they don't end when things get back to a new normal. They don't end. The Bible has a long vista for when things are set aright. There's a day coming in the new heaven and a new earth where righteousness will dwell fully, where this world will be fully restored, where we'll never have to worry about things like masks or hospitals, where civil unrest and heartbreaking division won't exist, where people won't show partiality one to another, there will, where there will be peace on earth. That day is coming. It's not coming in six months. It is not coming in six months. This passage calls us to run with endurance this race, this life of faith. That's the first thing I want you to remember. I want to invite you to consider um, laying down the fantasy that the new normal will be good enough. It's not. Laying down the fantasy that the new normal is what Christians are supposed to long long for. Laying down the fantasy that we we can serve him better when things get a little easier. Just not true. Just not true. Second thing I want to point out about our running, this pursuing God, this walking with him, this endurance, endurance kind of marathon running, um, is just to, to make an observation. When you run, can I ask you what direction you run? I think the answer is you almost always run in the direction you're looking. May I ask you another question? Have you ever tried to run and look at another direction? I remember a time when I was in high school. I was on the freshman football team. Um, I had not yet learned the dangers of football fully, but I was getting ready to learn them. And I was in a game, and uh, I think we had, it was a fumble or an interception or something, one of those, those pivotal changing moments, and all of a sudden, an opponent was running toward the end zone with the ball. And I was kind of over here on the football field, and I, I knew the kind of, if I chased him this way, I wasn't going to, that wasn't going to happen. I wasn't going to catch him. But if I tried to kind of intercept him, um, 
that maybe I could catch him. Well, I was doing this thing where I was looking right at this, this runner with the ball. And I was kind of running in another direction. And another player discovered the error of my ways and decided, just kind of came up and pulverized me. And next thing you know, I don't, I don't even know the number of the player that hit me. All I remember is I was running full out in a direction I wasn't looking, and then I was laying on my back in a direction I was looking, right? I was just kind of stuck there. And I learned a lesson that day that it is incredibly dangerous to run one way and to look another way. It's incredibly dangerous to run one way and look another way. This passage, when it says looking to Jesus, it's not saying we should run in the old direction we want while we look at Jesus to make sure that direction is safe. No, no. It is saying Jesus is the one we run toward. It is him who we fix our eyes on. Um, we need to run with endurance. We need to let this time teach us. But if you're going to sprint in a direction right now, can I suggest the right one? This is not a multi-choice, multiple choice. Maybe there's more than one right answer. Looking to Jesus and running toward him, that is the name of the game right now. That is what we're being invited to do. Um, I, can't, I can't look toward my fantasy solutions while I'm running right now. I can't look at Jesus and pursue my fantasy solutions. Doesn't mean I'm not trying to find ways to make things better. Doesn't mean I'm not striving to help my family endure this in a way that's easier. But brothers and sisters, let's fix our eyes on him and let's run toward him. Let's run toward him. In conclusion, I just want to say a few final words. No mistake, we're in the midst of a difficult season. Lots of broken plans, lots of uncertainty, and it, it must be admitted, some of the plans we've made about the future are probably going to break too. Probably going to break too. Today's passage relates to times like this, but its vista is much bigger, much bigger. Don't, don't forget that the true struggle of the Christian life, righteousness, righteousness in a broken world, ministry to all who need Jesus, deep love for the body of Christ and God's people, eager expectation that Jesus would come back. Those things are long-term projects. All the way to our very last breath when we enter a new life. Long-term projects. God's word has challenged us today to look in the right place, to focus on endurance, and to run, and to run. So what I want to do now as we conclude our time together is I just want to pray a prayer, a prayer of blessing for you that you would do these things alongside me, that our family of churches would do these things and find peace and joy, that we would, as the passage says, we would live. We would live. We would look to him and live. So we pray with me here that these things would uh, make their way from our minds to our hearts, to our hands in these days. Let's pray. Father in heaven, in a moment, we're going to have communion. And as we think about what the cross has meant to us and what your body and blood have done for us, Lord, I pray. I pray that you would help each of us. If we don't know you, Lord, allow us to put our hope in you, to look for the first time. Father, I pray that if we do know you, that we would focus our eyes firmly on you, that we would fix our minds upon you, that you would be our hope and peace and target in the days ahead. God, I pray that you would give us, give me, give these brothers and sisters endurance, that we'd be able to stay in the game, to not quit, to hang in there. 
And then, God, I pray that our running would be fruitful, um, that it would do its work in us, and that it would do its work in this place. And uh, as we eagerly await, Lord, your return, uh, that your church would minister here in this place. Give us peace as we focus on you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for letting me share today.